Apparently there's this word, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Apparently there's this word called disruption in the um, like industry, <laughs> um, in areas like hotels and taxis, maybe cinema. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So it's when, because of the way we now do life through the internet, whole industries, the whole way they're working, uh, are disrupted. So we don't now book hotels, we use Airbnb, so that's a massive crisis for the hotel industry as to how they work with that. We don't get taxis anymore, apparently we get Uber. I still walk. <laughs> Old school, really, up like pre-industrial revolution. Um, still catching up. And what was the third one? Cinema, slight prediction on this, but I think the way we do everything now from home, we can do everything from home, a lot of stuff from home, work and, and entertainment and so on. Possibly we're going to have to rethink how we do cinemas and Netflix. And there was another one. Uh, there's, there's buying high streets, Amazon, and there's one more. Sorry? Video rental shop. It's, yeah, video rental shop. Blockbuster! <laughs> Anyone who's like of a normal age will be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, oh, something. Estate agents, that's what you were all thinking, wasn't it? Because <laughs> of right move and square blue, purple, square thing, whatever that thing is. Anyway, as a result, certain industries are being disrupted, and today we're going to be looking at rhythms and interruptions, what we do to connect and posture ourselves around God, and then being connected and sensitised to the moment of interruption, which is actually really what life is about, um, connecting with the interruption. So, um, we're looking at Acts through three lenses. We're passionate about the up in and out, defining and aligning everything we do around our, our actual personal call. And so the presence, um, gathering around, a community gathering around prayer, the power of God, a community filled with the Holy Spirit, the power, and then a community with mission, missional purpose. So we're going to look at Acts 3, and I'm going to disrupt how I do a talk. Woo! By every point, after the three points, so I haven't disrupted it that much, um, after every little talk, we're going to go into our little groups around our tables, and um, as we process, often the Holy Spirit brings a light bulb moment of what it is for us, and as soon as the revelation comes, so does the grace, there's a very light, and it usually comes in conversation. So I'm going to have a little uh, first bit of Acts 3, look at it. Then conversations and the second one and so on. So firstly, we are here at the end of Acts 2, beginning of Acts 3. And the thing we're going to look at for this first one is how this community, this early first believing community of Jesus, was gathering around rhythms. So I want us to be attentive to daily, weekly rhythms and so on in the, in the first that we look at. So the fellowship of believers... This is after an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and at least 3,000 people came to faith. There was a massive Jewish diaspora gathering on Pentecost that day, so they would spread back over the Roman Empire, but of those who remained in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just carry on to the beginning. Say, just whenever you hear that word, just think restored, being made whole. Um, Acts 3, the beginning of the next bit. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Cliffhanger. <laughs> We're going to stop there and look at rhythms. So there's this kind of sense of rhythm that they were meeting together daily. It looks like, in some ways, maybe even sharing meals together, which may have been more than daily. And um, by that time, very early Judaism, they developed uh, uh, going to the temple three times to pray. And if you remember Moses, when he had the tabernacle about 1,500 years before that, there were two sacrifices in morning and evening. So you deal, you get right in the morning. It's like having a, getting a shower in the morning and then cleaning off in the evening before you go to bed. It was a two-rhythm connection. By this time, there were three rhythms. And if we don't know how often, how Peter and John, these early believers, they saw themselves very much as Jewish. The, the, the Holy Spirit hadn't even been given to the Gentiles at this point. So it's probably likely they were still, that was still part of their rhythm. They were going to meet and connect. And this was one time at three in the afternoon. There's another rhythm of another man in this story. A man who was lame from birth. We found out that he's 40 years old. And he was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful every single day to beg from those going in, especially I imagine around this kind of feast time there might be more people around, more generosity, and there's this divine encounter, so there are some rhythms going on here, and uh, Andrew spoke brilliantly last week about what we really, what we actually believe is how we respond to situations, not what we think we believe about the nature and character of God, but actually what happens to us in pressure. That is our true theology. That's truly what we believe about God. And I completely agree with that. That's really helpful for me um, to see pockets, to see a lot of pockets of unbelief. Actually, it's called practical atheism. When it comes to shove, we don't actually really believe in the existence and reality of God, or if we do, that He's not good or loving and pursuing us. And I think rhythms also are another thing that show what we really believe. We, can, um, we all have a life. To live this side of the city, it's about 10 years more than other parts of the city, but essentially we have 50 to 100 years. And we, so we've got the same time, days, weeks, months, years, and how we spend it, how we choose to organise it, says a lot about what we actually believe is real about the world. Not what we'd like to believe, what we think we believe, but actually what we really believe matters. So, um, because rhythms show us what we're reorientating our lives around. And we've been encouraging us here to have these rhythms which reorientate us around connectedness with God and one another and the world. So we organise our lives around connectedness. So we have maybe daily rhythms at home. We talked about um, 
Hope on Wednesday we have a weekly rhythm here where everyone's welcome to share lunch. There's a monthly rhythm here. Um, lots of them, but one of them last night we had um, organic worship here. It's a monthly rhythm that's been established for a few years. And there, there are annual rhythms. And each of these are about reorientating ourselves to be more connected with God and there's an intentionality behind them. So what I would love us to do now is share in, with the people around you what rhythms of connectedness with God or with the people of God you have. It could be daily, weekly, monthly, annually that you have found helpful in drawing you closer to God. And a few minutes to talk to someone next to you about that. <laughs> Yoke is light, and it, there's a brilliant inter- uh, translation, a paragraph, sorry, a paraphrase in the message version where it talks about one of my favourite phrases, the unforced rhythms of grace. We can align ourselves to this incredibly gracious way of living, and it actually is, um, it's a greater reward than resistance to it delivers. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. He's not coercive or abusive or manipulative. He's done everything he can. The onus is on us to say yes. And this is the way we can say yes to So, dun, dun, dun. just about to enter the temple. They see this man, presumably, possibly have heard about him or seen him every single day. Maybe even every time they did the annual feast three times a year through their whole childhood. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, some of the most favourite verses in the Bible, silver or gold, I do not have, because that would have kept him in consumer mentality. But what I do have, I give to you the capacity to be a contributor. In the name of Jesus Christ, of Nazareth, get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this is what we want to talk about, interruption. There's a rhythm to their life. They connect daily, they connect at meals, they go to the temple port. There's a moment they are so sensitised to the Spirit of God that at that moment they saw that person, they looked at each other, something connected in the Spirit, and they said, this is actually the assignment for this moment. I'm not in the past, the glory days of when everyone was trampling on over each other in Galilee where we grew up and tens of thousands of people wanting to get with Jesus. I'm not even in the glory days of Pentecost, which were probably only a few weeks ago. And there's a lot of work to do to steward and shepherd these young people in the faith. I'm in this present moment. I'm not even in the glory days of the future when we just hope he'll do it again. Or when Jesus comes back and restores all things. I'm in the glory day now. In this moment, for this person, this is what the Spirit's doing. And I, in my rhythm, I'm so aligned that I can be interrupted. That is very different from distraction. Interruption is very different to distraction. So this week, um, I'll give you another example that Heidi Baker talks about. Where she being contending for breakthrough in people's eyes, being healed, and their ears being healed in a culture where they're, they're just... 
Firstly, that's impossible, but secondly, don't have access to the medical care from birth that we have here. So very kind and compassionate, accessing the power of God for people to restore dignity and capacity to work and so on. Anyway, so she got into a conversation, she saw someone who was blind, they got into a conversation, had a breakthrough, prayed with them. Um, their eyes physically were open before her eyes. She saw them, them change and they were able to see. It was an extraordinary miracle, like you would read in Acts. And then she said how she was on her way to a meeting. And obviously she was late, but in her own words, she got there just in time. Because that was what she was on earth to do, not get to the meeting. Remember the Good Samaritan can get so caught up in the agenda of the rhythm that we forget what we're on earth for, which is to heal the person who's blind or the person who um, has been beaten up along the road. So we allow ourselves to be interrupted. Very, very little example in our own lives about in the within the last week we were asked to do about five different things um, which are outside our assignment which is building hope building our home and building a project we're working on together and they're great things and they're good things but um, that is a distraction not an interruption on our rhythm our rhythms are about uh, are assigned around our work on earth and that's here and so we have to be very attentive and careful to the Holy Spirit if there's anything else being asked. And we felt no to those things. And what's brilliant about a no, to encourage everyone, is it will be a yes for someone else. It's always a win-win in the kingdom. They'll probably do it a lot better. They'll certainly be able to do it justice, time-wise. And so just to encourage us that when our no is no and our yes is yes, it releases something for someone else who may not have been released. Joel talks about an army that doesn't jostle for position. We take our place, we do the thing we're assigned to do. And Peter and John's assignment, that was in a bigger picture. They knew, because Jesus had told them and trained them for three years, you heal the sick. That's what you do on earth. So when there's someone and the spirit is attentive, they do that, because that's their assignment. So it's not a distraction, it's a, it's a good interruption. And then totally separately from that, we have, our, uh, we have rhythms, as I say, um, daily, weekly, monthly, annual, and they're around building the up and the out, particularly around our assignments, so highly intentional. And one of the rhythms we've put in place is, is over the last few years, just putting in place an annual rhythm of Alpha in our home. We started with French Alpha, which is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I couldn't really say much. <laughs> I was like, is this, is this? And even now to say, dear, I could do God in French, but Jesus. Anyway, luckily, uh, <laughs> we have a linguist amongst us, so that was fine. Um, but that was amazing. Then we decided to do Grain Up Alpha in English. Ooh. <laughs> um, and so anyway, we have this rhythm. So this term, that's what we, you know, we're open to interruption, but essentially we're building that. So this term we were planning on doing Alpha. And, um, and then we were having a conversation with Rebecca, Chris and I and Rebecca, really about the youth work. Because um, we're moving from three groups to five and everyone's growing and we're expanding it. And it was almost like a, jo- a, a joke, a laugh. It wasn't a joke, it was really serious, but we were so filled with joy. Chris and I just went, why don't we do youth Alpha? And I knew that was an interruption. It was like, yeah, that's what we do. And we reorientate our life around that. Because we do our Alpha and our ministry on Wednesday evenings. As it turns out, that isn't quite 
as helpful when you're in that age because of course you're doing loads of other things. So we're like, whatever it takes. This is what he said, we'll do it whenever. It's a very small thing, but it's about reorientating around the now world. And so we're really excited and we're starting this evening at our house, Sunday evenings, we found for you and upwards. Very exciting. I love deep chats, you never get to do them after you're a teenager as much as when you're a teenager. So it's really exciting. Um, so that is an example of a rhythm that could be interrupted in alignment with what we're building here. And also an example of not saying no to the distractions. It's a really di- it's a very, very different. So what I'd love us all to do now is talk about a recent example in your life where you've had the Holy Spirit interrupt. And Tanya talked about it on her breakfast. That was a Holy Spirit interruption when she was hosting breakfast with church leaders and she just saw the man in front of her. That was the Holy Spirit. And the same with Kat. She's on this rhythm to be out and she just saw that moment. So you're, you're having them. But maybe have a little chat now about those moments where in the rhythms of our life we've been intentional about our assignment, what we're here on earth to do. And then a moment where we felt the Holy Spirit surprise us and realign our journey. I just think that's a really helpful image. The Word of God, we're going one way. The Word of God forges a way where there is no way and everything else disrupts around it. But His Word is the thing that stands and we go with it. That makes sense. So, talk amongst yourselves. With them, so you can presume that they just then carried off business as usual, and that can happen sometimes. But Peter massively capitalises on this situation by being utterly ready at the moment of this healing to put that moment of someone's personal restoration into the overall plan of God's uh, restoration plan for humanity. He basically tells um, the way the world really is. This is beautiful pure world that was created, um, we spoiled it by choosing that myth, old myth of independence, and um, and soiled everything, but he, that was crucified in Christ fully and completely, 2,000 years ago, so for everyone, for all time, fully inhabited our old nature that we could fully inhabit his new resurrection nature and crown B, have a new full authority with him forever. That is what we all need here to be able to say very quickly whenever whenever we are given this opportunity. So spot how he puts it in the middle of the bigger picture. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then, full and complete change of mindset about what's real. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, but times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. But Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That is a serious capitalization because he was ready for that moment. He'd been trained for three years under Jesus. He'd seen how Jesus responded so well. Jesus was very tired before the feeding of the 5,000. He sees with immense compassion people are hungry, they've been following him, they've paid a price to follow him. And he does this extraordinary miracle. They watch that process and then he says in a letter later, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. He was speaking to a Jewish audience, so he learned the language and the mindset and the worldview of the Jewish people. We use the language and the mindset and the culture of, the, of our audience, the people who we're talking to and loving in our words, but we do that. So I've had conversations with people talking about a really tough situation here, and I'm, I say, yeah, that, essentially, and I get there in about a minute, is why Jesus had to die. Does that make sense? Because otherwise, what are we doing? If we can't place the fact that they find it a living hell in this situation on the cross, then it means nothing. But when you, as soon as you start to do that, you go, okay, that's why Jesus had to die for that little thing there. That's why he died for the guy who can walk for 40 years, to give him dignity and humanity and capacity to work. So, in Joy's workplace... I'm going to finish with this lovely testimony that Joy shared with me yesterday. Um, it was really beautiful. There had been some shifts in managers, and there hadn't been manager. We appointed a new manager, the accountancy firm in uh, branch of the firm in Swindon, it's where Joy works. She was given a new manager. So this guy comes in, introduces himself, and then asks for everyone's name. It's like a meeting of the, the group before he starts work. And they all give their names, and he gives a biblical reason, a biblical um, interpretation of their name, which is actually really beautiful and powerful. And a lot of people don't know their names, and they don't know, they don't know the meaning of their names. They probably know their names. They don't know the meaning of their names. And actually, it's a really beautiful, powerful thing. And one of them was particularly touched because they didn't know that their name meant child of God. So he did that, and then he said, and this is who I am. I'm a Christian, I'm married, and I've got my kids, and this is how I do it. And then he said, this is someone who was on my team um, before. This is who's worked with me. I'm going to leave the room now and you can just ask them what it's like to work with me. And I just thought, that is epic. That is exactly what Jesus is like. Totally connected with the fact everyone's got core destiny and design and even though they've been prophetically spoken over them by their names without even realising, connecting a bit with that and then being secure enough to just ask someone else to share what it's like to work with him. And as that is, that is, that's what they did in our culture, in our time, in our place. He was ready for that moment. You don't get there by accident. You think, how am I going to be intentionally an ambassador and represent God well in this moment? In a moment when people struggle with management, in a moment when people feel like there's no purpose or meaning or significance to their life. People don't know they're loved. Work is stressful. He just came in and that was good news. That was good news that moment. So thank you for sharing that. 
So we're going to finish now. And what I would love is... Yeah, is to maybe share in your groups a way, a recent opportunity you had to share the overarching plan of salvation because of one aspect of someone's life that needed restoration. To see that as a topos. Um, Paul talks about making the most of every opportunity. Um, Greek for that is topos. That every, every to, where we get the word topography, every legal opportunity to say, this is the good news. So if there's a, been a moment in the last week where you've been talking to someone and the way they've spoken to you, that that's why Jesus had to die. Maybe try and remember that or, or a testimony you can share of how you went into that moment and went, well, actually, I can tell you some good news about that. Or if there's anyone in your group who is sick and would like to be healed, to pray and lay hands on them and to command that full restoration in Jesus' name. So we're going to finish now and have that time speaking to one another and we'll have some worship I'm going to pray now Lord thank you that you want the people who are ready and the way we get ready is we build rhythms in our lives that say we're intentional about how we want to live this is the design on our life and we're going to build rhythms around it we're going to say yes to the yes and no to the no if we don't know our design we steward what we have and he makes it clear or gives us more so we, we've always got some degree of revelation about why we're on earth. And so we, we steward the revelation by rhythms. And then I bless us to be sensitive to the interruptions. I bless us to see the guy before us who was always there before us, but we'd never seen him before. Ah, that's my moment where I fulfill my destiny. That's why I have a rhythm, so I can heal the sick in front of me, even though it disrupts my rhythm. And then finally, to, for us to be much more sensitised to the opportunities we get all the time, to put a context around people's stress and pain in their life and say that's why Jesus died. But the good news is that was crucified with him and we live a resurrection life. And so I bless us all to come fully into this incredible life incredible life where we get to partner with the Holy Spirit to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.